You are listening to the Living Strong Podcast. It is a movement to show that anyone out there in the world has the potential to become their best self and reach any goal they put their mind and heart to. Every week we'll be in your ears giving you tips, tricks, and stories that will get you off the couch and turn your life around. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to another episode of the Living Strong Podcast. This week I got my buddy all the way from Geneva, Switzerland, Ian Lai. Ian uh, is an ultra endurance athlete and on this podcast we talk about how he got into running, how he uh, transitioned into ultra distances and how he juggles the world of ultra distances, uh, the training for it and everything while still working a 9 to 5 and having uh, a baby of 3 years old. It's an awesome podcast, a lot of information, a lot of uh, stories that you could grab a lot of motivation from so I really hope you guys enjoy it. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Living Strong Podcast. This week, I got my buddy all the way from Geneva, Ian Lai, with us. He's an ultra runner, and he's just an amazing guy. I can't wait to share his story with you guys. So, Ian, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Gianluca, for having me on. Anytime. So, Ian, why don't you give us a a quick about yourself? What do you do, uh, who you are, and all that? Yeah, sure. So, I'm Ian. Um, I was born and raised actually in the tiny island of Singapore, all the way out in Southeast Asia, um, where I lived all my life until I moved to the U.S. Uh, for college uh, and a little bit of work for five years or so in the early 2000s, mid 2000s. And, and then I came back home to Singapore to start my career. And I lived and worked back home until 2016, where I moved to Europe. Um, uh, specifically Geneva, Switzerland, where I still am. I have been for the last four years. I currently live here with my wife and our three-year-old daughter. Uh, yeah, and I work for uh, investment U.S. investment bank here in Geneva. That's what brought me here. So these days, I mostly run trails and ultras on the, in terms of sport. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to run for Salomon, Singapore, and a couple of other brands um, like uh, Simple Hydration and Unived as a brand ambassador. Cool, cool. So how did the, how did you get into running? What what started it off for you? <laughs> yeah, that's a really funny question, you know, because um, I know I run ultras these days, but growing up, I actually had a love hate relationship with running. Yeah, but that's um, a, for- that's usual. All, all runners <laughs> uh, growing up, they all hated it, and then uh, some some tick happened, right? So so tell us about it. Let's go. Yeah. So so for a long time, I couldn't understand how people could go out, enjoy going out for a run for no reason. It just seemed silly to me. I mean, there was a lot more fun sports out there in my mind. So growing up, I played other sports like football and or soccer, as Americans call it, and and basketball. Okay. And um, in high school, I did join the track team because my friends had joined, and I wanted to be you know hang out with them. But I actually quit within a couple of months because I just found it so boring. <laughs> so, so finally, my first taste of running competitively came when I was uh, serving my mandatory two years of military service uh, in Singapore that all male citizens have to go through. Um, and, you know, being in the military, you do a lot of running, right? Yeah. That's all soldiers do most of the time anyway. Um, and you have to go on a lot of runs. I still didn't enjoy it. But uh, during some of the physical fitness tests, I was decent enough at it, I guess, where I was asked to call, I was called up to join one of the squadron teams and fleet teams. I was in the Navy uh, to represent them at these interformation track meets within the military. So, you know, I wasn't crazy on the idea, but then what I realized was that you would get a day off 
to train. So you would go for a couple of hours of training in the morning and then you had the rest of the day off, which sounded like a pretty sweet deal to me at the time. Yeah. And so I did it, right? And, uh, and I, I did just middle distances such as like the 1,500 meters, 5,000 meters, you know, a little bit of 10,000 meters. But back then I was really doing it, you know, more as a way to just hang out and, and enjoy the rest of my day. So I didn't yeah. take it that seriously. Um, I enjoyed a little bit of success at that level, but then I, I kind of stopped running completely once I moved to, to the university studies in the States, um, just because I wanted to focus on my studies. And then I went back to playing soccer with friends there. It was a great way to, to hang out with people. And um, it wasn't only until I actually got back to Singapore in about 2010, 9, 10, around that time frame, uh, well, nine. And then I started running again because I realized all my other friends from my younger days back home had stopped uh, playing sport, organized sport like soccer and, and basketball. People were just too busy with their careers and that sort of thing. Yeah. And so as a way to keep fit, I just started running. And um, a friend of mine, I've never told this story actually, but a friend of mine who had from the Navy, you know, he, he had completed his first marathon. And it kind of inspired me to, to take up that as a goal as well, because I say, I was thinking myself being competitive. I was thinking if he could do it, what's stopping me from doing it? And uh, so I started training for it and we actually ran that first marathon together. Well, it was my first one in 2010. And that's when I uh, finished my first marathon. And it's, as I say, it's been uh, nonstop ever since. 10 years of nonstop since your first marathon. That's awesome. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And so when you started, <clears throat> I just want to make sure I understood something correctly, but so when you started running in the military, that was before, that was when that was like in 2000 and what? Oh, that was really uh 2001 to 2002, 2003 timeframe, I'd say. Okay. So just then before that, I left. The, yeah. Just before I left. Okay. So then for a good, like almost seven, six to seven years, you didn't run because of the university and all that. And then you only start Wow. So like you really, it, it, it shows that, that the running came to you more uh, like in a slow progression compared to where you're at now. Like you even said, you start with marathons, start with that, sorry, with the thousand meter, 5,000 meter, 10,000 meter, and then slowly but surely moved on. It's really, really cool progression. And the amount of years it took to get to where you are now, it shows that it's not like a, a flick of a switch that you wake up one morning and you become a, a marathoner, right? There's yeah. work that needs to be done and all that. And so when did you start uh, switching to trails and ultras? Yeah, so, so I think it was around 2013, I want to say, when I first dipped my toes into the world of uh, trail running and ultra running. Okay. So ironically, my first ultra was actually a road ultra. Um, okay. And then uh, it was 100K on road, which was really painful. Wow. And, what and what ultra was later, it? What, I'm what, sorry? What was the ultra? What was it, it was called the Sundown, Sundown Ultra marathon and i think it's well it's no longer doing they're no longer holding the 100k okay. race anymore um they still have the 42 a proper marathon okay. and so three weeks after doing that i actually then ran my first trail ultra okay um, wow. yeah it was a 50k though but it was actually even more uh challenging to me at least than the 100k yeah um, uh, just because yeah exactly and i'm not prepared for that at all and so, so I'm guessing that's when you decide. So like that was 2013, you did your first ultra, your first trail, and you said, you know what? I really like these long distances, I'm guessing. And that's when you start implementing more training for that. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, I actually did those two ultras as part of a build up to a longer race. It was, okay. I did those ultras really to gain the confidence okay. um, that I could actually complete this other longer race that I signed up for with my friend. Okay. Um, it was a desert race, uh, stage race, I should say, over five days wow. uh, in the Sahara Desert. Okay. Um, and it was about 250Ks in distance over that time. So we didn't really know what we were going to be facing. So we wanted to know that our bodies could at least get us through these really long distances. And that's why we, we did those two first two ultras. Okay. And what, what made you in 2013 say, you know what? I want to start running trail. I want to start running ultra. Well, what, what switch turned on in your head saying, let's try something different. Yeah. So, so if you remember, I started running again, I ran my first marathon in 2010 yeah. and between then and 2013, I'd done a few more marathons, but, um, I'm not sure if you know, but Singapore is really tiny. Yeah. So any marathon you sign up for, they kind of tend to go along the same Root. routes. Exactly. So it became a little bit boring. I wasn't feeling motivated to do them anymore. And um, at some point I said, well, what else can we do? And um, stumbled across a 100K ultra said, you know, that sounds really cool. If we, I don't know if it's possible, but I'm going to try um, just to be able to say I've done a 100 kilometer race, which at the time seemed crazy, right? Yeah. Um, and then once I'd done it, you kind of get bitten by the bug. And you just want to keep going on and on. It's a deep rabbit hole. Yeah, very deep. A hundred kilometers deep. <laughs> <laughs> so how how did you uh, change your your training? Because obviously a training for a marathon and a training for a hundred k is completely different, right? So did you know that going into the hundred k, uh, were you prepared for for that type of training, or you just really signed up and you said, "We'll see where my legs take me." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I would say more of the latter because I was still very new to the whole sport. I, I, I mean, we didn't really know what we were doing. There wasn't a lot of resources out there on the internet yeah, at the time. Yeah, back then, exactly. Or a lot less, yeah. So more, we just increased our mileage, essentially. I think one, one key race or one key training phase that we did was um, we tried to run a um, half marathon and a marathon back-to-back -back on consecutive days. Okay just to, to train the legs. And then we also went on a couple of 50 kilometer runs with friends, really easy pace, more like a social event, but just more, more to build up that confidence that, you know, you're ready, we're ready for something like that. Awesome. So I have a question for you because I, 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 I've never run an ultra, but I, okay. I the, the thought is there someplace in my brain. I don't know if I'll ever do it, but, is it true what they say that running an ultra, you don't have to be a fast runner, you just have to have a lot of time under your legs? Is that true what they say about that? To a large degree, it is true. I think it really depends on what your goals are. Um, if it's just to finish the ultra, make the cutoffs, get to the finish line, which is um, a celebration in itself of what the human body can do when you set your mind to it. Um, that's all you need to do, just consistent mileage under your feet. But of course, if you start thinking about now, I want to see how fast can really go at this distance or push your, 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 your limits a little bit, um, then uh, you have to kind of switch up the training stimuli to include like more intense speed work and that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and I'm guessing that's where you're at now. It's you're, you're going more into to, to place and to, to get your name recognized and just enjoying the, the race, right? 
I'd say a little bit of both. I, okay. I'm nowhere near elite. Um, I hardly ever, I've never podium uh, outside in the trail and ultra world. Um, I'd say the key driver for me really to try and introduce more of these elements into my training is more to for my own uh, satisfaction to knowing that I really did everything I could to maximize my own potential in the sport. Okay. Whether that means just finishing the top 10, 20% of most races that I run, that's good enough for me because I know I squeezed every ounce of juice that exactly. I got from what God gave me, right? Yeah. So, yeah. That's really cool. And so you mentioned before uh, you do have a full-time job uh, working for an American bank down in Geneva. How do you juggle working a nine-to-five or whatever your hours are plus putting in all those miles every day to keep up with running ultras and your, your training schedule? Oh, man, yeah. It's, it's really tough, especially for a young family. Yeah, and that too, you have, like you just mentioned too, I, I, for, I forgot you mentioned, you do have a, a child of two years old. So how do you juggle all that? It's crazy. Yeah, so I do work a full-time job, 40 hours a week, uh, working hours from nine to six. So yeah. I typically train between five to six days a week, um, sometimes a little bit more depending on where I'm in a training block. But on average, I'd say anywhere from six to seven hours to 10 hours a week on average. A training. Um, yeah. Um, I try as much as possible to leave one day on the weekend free to spend time with my family. So that means I'm running pretty much every day during the work week at work. And what I do is I, during my lunch break, what I'll do is I'll go out instead of having lunch with uh, colleagues or friends or whatever it is, I'll have a quick lunch at my desk. And then on my lunch break, I'm, I'm lucky enough in my job that my boss is a sports, um, is an athlete in his own right as well. So yeah. he's supportive of us going out at lunch to train, go to the gym. My colleague, my other colleague goes to the gym and that sort of thing. Um, as long as, um, and so I'm, in that sense, I'm able to, to get my training in at work and it doesn't eat into my family time in the evenings. That's awesome. Um, That's awesome. Go ahead. Yeah, so that, that means making some sacrifices, right? So you will have to forego social events at work or lunches with colleagues, but that's okay because I've kind of prioritized my training and time with family um, at this point. That's very, um, that's yeah. very good. good. Good man. You're a good man. Family is <laughs> very important. Um, so how many, how much, what's your average mileage per week? Um, I think, so it varies, but what I'd say is as ultra runners, we look at training more in terms of time on our feet rather okay. than, than, all, yeah, than mileage. True. Yeah, that's true. Um, on average, though, I'd say anywhere between 60 kilometers to 100 kilometers a week. Um, yeah. Again, depending on how much elevation gain we're getting and what kind of terrain we're training on as well. True. You have to also take into the elevation gain. So, I'm get, like if you mentioned during the work week, I don't get, I, I'm, I'm guessing, I don't know, but there's not much elevation gain when you're running during your lunch hour. Right. So, so I actually seek out, there, there's some rolling terrain, I'd say. So I seek okay. it out during, during lunch. Um, Just to get it in. Most, most days. Yeah. Okay. I'd say I'd be, I'm able to get in maybe 150 meters or so of gain uh, per run at lunch over 10 Ks or so. And, yeah. and it's not much, but you build that up over five or six days. That's yeah. A good enough. Amount. Yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Cool. So what was your, your most, 
memorable experience uh, during an ultra run, during a marathon? What was the most memorable experience for you? Yeah, wow, that's it's really really tough to pick just one, but um, I'm gonna have to say I think it was maybe my first hundred kilometer ultra or trail race actually okay. that I did it in Hong Kong back in 2016. Um, that was really um, an adventure, I would say. <laughs> so it was the coldest year in Hong Kong, coldest day, I would say, in 60 years in Hong Kong. And it, okay. it was because of a polar vortex that suddenly hit, um, hit the country that day. And the week leading up to it, there had been no inclination or no indication, I should say, that there was going to be this polar vortex. Okay. And so we were not prepared for those conditions. Um, wow. So to give you some context, the, the average temperature at that time of the year, which, is, which was January, is maybe around 17 degrees Celsius on average, lows okay. of around 14 maybe. And um, so I packed maybe a light jacket yeah. and a tea. And normally that would be more than sufficient to get you through that kind of temperatures, right? Yeah. Now, um, when the vortex hit, it meant that just about everyone on the start line wasn't prepared uh, for, for those sure. temperatures. Yeah. So more than half the runners that started actually around half uh, weren't able to complete the race. And I, I, I actually made it to the finish, but it was, it took me a long, long time. Um, it was nightmare conditions from start to finish. We had really, really strong winds um, throughout the day. On a couple of occasions when I was on an exposed ridge at night, um, I actually had to kneel down for a couple of seconds to suddenly be blown off my feet. Oh my god! And and at one point um, during the night, I was so I was freezing. I couldn't feel my fingers anymore. I just had a short sleeve top and a light wing jacket, flimsy one, so it wasn't sufficient. Um, and I remember I couldn't feel my fingers anymore. I was freezing. And at some point during the night, in the middle of nowhere, I feel someone throwing stones at me. Or at least that's what I'm thinking. I'm saying, what, what is this? What are some kids? Is it some children or kids yeah. being naughty? And I look around, there's nothing around me. And then I realize that it's hail from the sky. Oh <laughs> my God. Me. It was pelting me. And I'm just like, I had to laugh at the absurdity of it all. It was just crazy. That's so, crazy. Yeah. So it was minus six at the very highest point of the race. And the organizers actually canceled it. They called it. So people who were coming to checkpoints weren't allowed to leave. But I, had, I was in the middle of nowhere. I was on the, almost coming down to the last checkpoint, the finish line. And um, it's this long really nice stretch of downhill tarmac road okay. so if you ran in normal conditions if you put your mind to you could easily do maybe 45 minutes okay. it took me three and a half hours to get down those last 10 kilometers because the entire stretch of road was iced out frosted over black ice wow. really and you could not stay on your feet and i was falling every every i fell down maybe like 15 to 20 times oh my and God. at some point i decided it was easier to just slide down my backside for meters <laughs> at a time and that's how i got down I, a combination of doing that and kind of like uh, using my poles and right and on all fours and even the rescue crews that were trying to come and rescue people who were stranded up top uh, couldn't do so because it was too slippery for them to get up so they themselves were falling um and eventually I got to the finish line, but I think what, why it's so memorable 
was it stopped being a race at that point and it was pretty much survival mode and it was really real it was really visceral i remember that feeling even now it was it was a sense of being alive in a sick way yeah for but then sure. also like your brain kicking into this whole mode of okay what do i need to do to make sure i can stay safe yeah i could survive yeah i could survive yeah it's cool because listening to that story my mind's like okay this is what happened to me that's it no more ultras cancel hang up the shoes <laughs> but yet you're still in it and you're still and it's true what you're saying because i i'm looking at it away like oh my god that's that's a crazy story right but you're looking at a way i survived that so if my body yeah. could survive that my body could go through a lot more right it's like i don't know if you know who david goggins is oh yeah, yeah. okay so David Goggins always says that uh, your mind always stops you at 40%, but your body still has a 60% of, of capacity that could, that could go forward. So that, that race showed you that you could have stopped at any point in time saying, I'm too cold, I can't feel my hands, it's hailing, my feet are frozen, I'm getting frostbite, come and help me. But you, you surpassed that 40% mark and you gave it your all. And, and that's why it shows that you, you're, you're a good runner and you have a good, uh, a strong mentality to keep you going through the tar- hard times, which you needed, you need in the sport of ultra running for sure. It's a really yeah. good story. Yeah. Really thanks. Story. So, I, I definitely still draw strength from that, that, for sure. uh, that race. For to, sure. To you need to, for sure. you need to, it's, it's your motivation to go forward. Whenever you have a hard day, you, you say, well, I did that. That's not hard enough. Right. <laughs> So would that be also considered your favorite race or do you have a more of a favorite trail race that you, you usually run that you every year, let's say you go back to it. Right. Yeah. So I would say in terms of favorite races, I have quite a few, Okay. but if I'm asked to pick one and I like them for different reasons, but if I have to pick one, oh, you could talk about can, you, how many do you have? Like three, four, five, how many, what, what would be wow. your number? Yeah, so, so I'd say I have, I have a top five in mind. Okay, um, so let's go through your top five. Let's go through your top five. With, sure, you, have so, to pick, you have to pick your number one, though. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to the last one then. Okay, cool. So one, the, the, the number five would be Marathon des Sables in Morocco in the Sahara Desert, yes. which I already talked about. And yeah. I really love that one for the camaraderie that you had every night in camp with the other runners. And there's also that... Element, that adventure element of being self-sufficient because you had to carry all the food you needed with you for those five days. Exactly. Um, so it was pretty cool. Um, um, I would also, I really like the Ultra Trail Lavaredo in Italy. Uh, oh, nice. It's in the Dolomite Mountains. Yes. Um, 120 kilometer race um, and the landscape reminds me, when, when, you, when I was going through it, I felt like I was in the Lord of the Rings movie because it's just this spectacular jagged rugged rocks that stick out of the ground and it's just amazing yeah for um, sure it's beautiful out there uh, and then one that i've really that has a special place in my heart is the madeira island ultra trail and the island of madeira um, it's technically part of portugal but it's just slightly off the coast of africa uh, just for the diversity of terrain that you go through during the race 115 kilometers of it from unesco protected forests okay. uh, to soaring ridges spectacular views and, and then it finished uh, with a long descent along the sea uh, on the cliffs above the sea so it's spectacular wow. um, and there's a race in switzerland called the eiger ultra trail it's about 100 kilometers long 
and and that just feels like constantly feels like you're in a postcard and and it's so tempting i've done the 50k i'll be doing the 100k this year nice and on the 50k i was tempted to take photographs every few steps you know it's not the best for your race result yeah, but yeah it's just beautiful it's breathtaking yeah for sure but the, the race if there's one race i try to get into every year is the utmb that's yes the Super Bowl, Olympics, World Cup, whatever you want to call it, uh, depending on your point of reference. Just the sheer scale and hype of the event is unbelievable. And unlike anything that we really have in this sport, I think it's probably the closest to um, professional coverage that you get with yeah, the for NBA sure. For sure. or uh, the Olympics with commentators in multiple languages, live feed 24-7 during yeah. the week. And so I try to do... It's on my bucket list to do the Grand Slam of races that they have on offer. Um, still a bit to ways. I have uh, done three of them. Um, and I still have a couple more to get through before cool. I, I can say I've them all off. Nice. Yeah, it's like a little wish list. I need to get these done. I need to get these done. Cool. Yeah. So another question I would have for you uh, regarding your, your race schedule and all that is your, your diet. Obviously, doing serious amount of kilometers serious amount of time on your feet that's a lot of calories burnt so how do you keep your diet in check and that's uh, probably a hundred percent important in the, in the race uh, in the the world of ultra running and it's because it's important in any physical sport right but maybe more yeah. in ultra running because you're, you're burning calories like it's like it's water um, so what do you keep uh, how do you keep your diet in check uh, throughout your day-to-day -day, like your a regular day in your life and throughout the race yeah so so i'm probably the wrong person to ask <laughs> from a day-to-day -day perspective <laughs> i'm trying to get better at it but it's just um i'm a person who pretty much likes to eat whatever they like to eat uh, i i'm definitely though making a more conscious effort over the last couple of years to be a lot more cognizant of what i'm putting to my body because okay. again that's what fuels the machine right yeah. Um, I, I've been reading a lot about being plant-based and that sort of thing. I've not quite been able to cross that bridge myself, but what it's done is um, made me a lot more conscious of the amount of meat I'm eating and that sort of thing. So I try for to sure. eat a lot more vegetables and, that, and, and that's never bad for anyone. No. Um, and also, also in terms of alcohol, which maybe is not diet, uh, but just being more Mod drinking more moderately, being more comfortable. Uh, being oh, more it's very, it's very drinking. important. It's very, very important. Mm -hmm. And actually, so so before a race, before a goal race, I'll I'll make sure I stop any drinking for maybe three weeks, two weeks, depending okay. on the race it is. Um, more more as a form of um, a mental transition into race mode than than any physical benefits it might bring me. Because mm -hmm. I, I don't drink heavily in, in any case. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, from a race perspective, I think I go by the general uh, rule of thumb of putting about 200 to 250 calories in my body per hour. Okay. So that's what I use. Um, I, this year, I, well, in the past, I've used a brand of nutrition called Tailwind, which has been really good yeah, for I've me. Heard of them, yeah. uh, I'm very excited to, to try something new this year. I'll be supported by Unived, uh, okay. which is actually a 10-year-old Indian company that makes them very a wide range of very natural, 100% vegan nutrition products. Cool. So very natural. And uh, I've read a lot of good things about them. Um, I reached out, spoke with the CEO of the company a little bit. Very nice guy. And I'm very excited to be able to, to test and use their products this season. Cool. 
cool Unibet. very very cool mm-hmm. and uh so they their their products are all like gels or they uh, they have a variety so they have a wide variety of products uh, they have gels for sure um they also have a drink mix which is typically how i like to consume my calories because gut. i find it's a lot easier in the gut for sure. liquid calories um they also have something called trailed butter um, which is a slow burning form of of calories uh, of energy i should say um and that's something that i definitely will incorporate into my race nutrition plan um just to switch things up as well and, cool. and they also have supplements vitamins and uh, recovery products um which are really really good as well from what i've read awesome awesome so i, I you mentioned before you also run uh for uh salomon how did how did that uh come into about Yeah so I I run for the Singapore Salomon Singapore team okay. uh, as an athlete um this is my first year in the team I'm actually just joined them this year okay, um cool. it came about really over the course of the last year I ran into a couple of the in the, the people who run the team in Singapore when I was back home for a visit and um slowly kept in touch with them last year I uh, was an ambassador for the overall company that brings in the products and then this year I signed a formal contract as um Salomon athlete. Cool. Cool. And there's all kinds of perks with that, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, they've been they've been very supportive and, <laughs> and it definitely helps uh in taking your mind off yeah. uh having to buy more gear and you know that uh, they're very for supportive. Sure. So uh, talking about gear, what what's your go-to uh setup for your ultra runs? Like what is your must that you must carry with you every run? So so in ultra races typically the organizers will give you a mandatory list of items True. that you have to carry with you and that varies from race to race uh but typically I'll make sure I have a survival blanket as most races will make you will have you carry one as you can see conditions can change very quickly in the mountains yeah um I might carry poles if there's a fair bit of climbing in the in the race involved involved in the race and uh definitely nutrition um cat that sort of thing cool cool so uh, a question that i i always ask uh, everyone that uh, comes on the podcast is so your sport is running so how did running uh, what has sorry what has running br- uh, brought to your life in terms of uh, uh motivation goals life changing experiences and all that so what has running brought to you in life yeah, so so on a daily level I'd say running is my personal therapy that kind of mentally recharges me and lets me find spend some time in that elusive zen zone as I call it. Yeah. Uh, it's increasingly hard to do in this, you know, connected world that we live in. There's always something going on, there's always uh, social media notifications popping up on your phone. And so with running, you're able to step away from all of that and just find some time to breathe and be present in the moment which For I sure. really grown to treasure on a day-to-day basis. In the in the larger scheme of things, I'd say it's given me a sense of discipline and purpose, sense of purpose and uh, the opportunity I guess to challenge and try and get my the best out of myself every single day. Um it might be a training run uh, and sometimes, you know, the legs don't really want to go uh, and and it's on you to try and find that motivation to keep going even when you don't feel like going that day. For sure. Um, for sure. I I would also say community which is a huge part of trail running and yeah. a sense of community that is quite different from any other sport I've played. 
Um, yeah, we're all competitors in races, but it's not this toxic sense of competition, but a very mutually supportive and encouraging environment. Um, we're all out there trying to get the best out of each other if that makes sense. And, and so before and after races, you'll see uh, runners greeting and meeting, meeting and greeting one another. And I guess part of that comes from the fact that trail running is still very much a, a grassroots sports and not on the level of some of the other major sports where, you know, there's a lot of money at play and, and that sort of thing. For sure. And um, yeah, I guess running is a sport where it's really, at the end of the day, it's really you against yourself. First and yeah, foremost, that's true. Yeah, and so so everyone that does the sport can relate to that, and it's something that brings us all together. And I'm sure in the, the OCR community yeah. that you're part of, it's similar, right? It's the same thing, right? Like the OCR community, it's the it's exactly what you just said, right? It's it's basically that the the community the community is what kept what what made me want to continue uh, running OCRs and train for OCRs and being. I, I call myself an OCR ambassador because whenever I talk to someone, I always talk about it, right? And uh, it, it's that community. And it's hard to find that in a lot of sports because let's say in the, the marathon world, there's so many people that, yes, you'll build a community, but it's very niche, right? To that group of people that you usually yeah. run with, but it doesn't diversify. Yeah. And the way you're, you're explaining ultra running, it's like, OCR, OCR uh, at a race, let's say at a Spartan race, we have like the, the big bash, the, the, the DJ, the music. The, and yeah. I'm not an elite, I'm nowhere close to it, but I, I, I speak with the elites. I know the elites. I could talk with them. They're all uh, down to earth. As in maybe a, a marathon world or in a different sport, like let's say soccer, for example, right? Yeah. You're not going to go talk to like, the high, like you know, what I mean, like it's there's yeah. like a, a gap, right? So it's yeah. it, it just shows that these 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 uh, these sports are the community is what really backs it and what really pushes it uh, forward. Yeah, for sure. What uh, what's a, a quick recap of your 2019, like your races and uh, the events you attended and all that? Yeah, so so 2019 was a very uh, strange season for me. Um, it was the most races I've done. Um, in a year ever and okay. I think I did a total of eight or nine um, and instead of doing the usual longer ultras that I had been doing up to this point um, the focus was on the shorter races okay um, and this was for a couple, couple of reasons really one was I was mentally burned out a little bit by the training for my first hundred mile of the year before and um, second, once that bucket list goal of running 100 miles was achieved, I started thinking about what direction I wanted to go next and decided that what I really wanted to do was to learn how to race and not just finish these races, but to race them. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so just really learning how to flip the switch from survival mode or chasing cutoffs to, to racing, which calls for a very different approach to the races and even the training, I would say. Um, and, and, you know, when you're just running an ultra to finish it, you can um, take photos, spend time at aid stations, sit yeah. down, whatever. And when you're racing to get the best out of yourself, not necessarily to win, but just to get the best out of yourself, it's a very different uh, experience and something that I've actually enjoyed. So I, I started doing these shorter races to get more practice at that. Cool. And um, ran, ran uh, a short half marathon back home in Singapore. It's the first time at done one since i moved to europe i'm um, wow. happy to set a pb there and did a 
first ever sky race okay. um, in Transvolcania, uh, La Palma, the island of La Palma. And nice. um, did another race close to home, 30K, blew up, went out too, way too hard, which is where, you know, practice comes, makes perfect, right? So exactly. that's how you learn. And, um, and then after that, I did a couple more races, 110 race in Austria, uh, 10 kilometer race in Austria that got canceled. Well, I got stopped at the 80 kilometer mark. Okay. And, and a couple of other races, uh, one in Switzerland, the CRZ now, which is really big. Uh, and went back to UTMB for the short version of their, okay. for the shorter race, the OCC. Yeah. I had a great race there and then finished up the season with a 46K race in Poland. Nice. Uh, where, where I actually managed to achieve my best ever race result uh, since oh, wow. I started trail running and placed in the top 10 overall. So it's the first time I've ever done that. But, but what really, thank you, but what really made it so much more memorable for me was that uh, my favorite memory from that race is uh, getting to share the finish with my family. Uh, so they were there for the first time at the finish line of one of my races. So to be able to, to have loved ones at the finish made it that much sweeter. For sure, for sure. And so you mentioned you did eight to nine races in 2019. So you're doing a, about a race every month and a half or so, more or less. Uh, it, it varied, but uh, a lot more, I'd say, heavily stacked towards the summer. True. Um, but uh, on average, I would say every six to eight weeks, I was probably doing something. And then more so in the summer. And it's always like you also mentioned, there was a lot of traveling, right? Poland. Uh, oh, Poland. yeah. yeah. That's cool. Yeah, a lot of a lot of travel cool cool so what's what's your your goals for 2020 what are some a races have you planned that out yet or you're still in the works yeah so so this year i'm actually switching it up again and uh kind of so the goal this year is to speaking my coach i, I work with coach online okay we decided we want to work on building on the progress that i made last year by stepping back up in distance and learning to race 100k distance well Okay. So I think that's really my sweet spot as terms in terms of distance because I don't have the raw leg speed anymore to kind of do really well at the shorter distances. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, more importantly, I think I also want to be a little bit more conscious of the impact that my racing schedule has on the environment. So I've tried to reduce my my carbon footprint for this year by racing more local races or signing okay. up for races where I don't have to fly like I did yeah. in 2019 for sure so I'll be doing uh, starting off the season a little bit later this year <coughs> in June with a marathon a trail marathon close to home and then in July it will be a really busy one with two big 100k races uh, one in the Pyrenees uh, it's a race a first time race by UTMB called the Val d'Aran and then two weeks later going back to the Aiga Alter Trail and in August, I'll probably go back to CRZ now, which I really loved last year, and then finish up the year with the Berlin Marathon at the end of September, which is the only one that I hopefully will have to fly for. Okay. So that should wrap up the season. <coughs> Excuse me. No worries. So uh, you, you just mentioned something very interesting to me. You said in July you're doing two races, and it's two weeks apart. Now, I always understood that you always have like a week or like a couple of days of like downtime to get back your legs. So how does that work when you have two races back to back? What's those like those two weeks between the races? Are you training at all? Are you just recovering? Are you doing short distances? How do you manage that? Yeah, I don't. I 
Well, the the craziest part of this is I'm not sure it's a smart move really. You know, paper, <laughs> I wouldn't do it, but uh, it just worked out that the the goal, the bigger goals I had meant that I had to do these two back to back. Okay. Uh, so it's my actually my two biggest races of the year in terms of distance. So they're both hundred k's. Okay. Um, I've never done anything like this. I don't know how my body responds. So ask me again <laughs> when I'm done. Yeah. But but I think the plan would be to to really have done the vast majority of any training that I need way before the, the first race. So okay. by the time I show up to start line, the first one in in the beginning of July, um, it will just be a matter of recovering as much as I can after that one to make sure I show up as close to full fitness and fully recovered to start on the second race. Okay. Um, the reason why I'm doing them so close together is the first race guarantees you a place at the uh, UTMB race for the future. Okay. So I really want to punch my ticket uh, again. And it's, it's getting more and more difficult to get in via the lottery system that they have. And uh, the second race, I was going to do it because a couple of my good friends from back home are, are going to be signing up, oh, cool. signed up to do it. And I wanted to do it with them. Cool. Awesome. That's really, really cool. So we have a segment always on the podcast called the three tips. So it's basically three tips that you would give the audience to help them uh, start living a more health and uh, healthy lifestyle or keep their uh, or keep themselves on the path of living a healthy lifestyle. I like to call it a, the strong life. That's why it's called living strong, the podcast. So mm -hmm. what would be your three tips to the audience today? Okay, so I would say number one uh, is consistency. Uh, just being consistent in your training or the changes that you're making to your lifestyle, etc. Um, in terms of training, I think it's really the greatest, greatest key to progress. So it's better to run four or five days a week, short distances, rather than try to cram all the training and mileage into one or two monster epic efforts on the weekend. Um, I think it's really more about, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't have to be crazy mileage. It could be 30 minutes a day, one hour a day, uh, but it enables you to develop that fitness brick by brick. And, and sometimes it's easy to fall into the trap of thinking that because you're trying to run, say, if you want to run a marathon or an ultra, you have to try and do these epic long runs in training. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, sure you do, but the meat and potatoes of your training should be low intensity, easy running that's sustainable and something you can do day in, day out. And that's really the starting point of any change in your lifestyle that you want to make. For sure. Okay. Mm. So that will be number one. Number two. For me, I'd say um, don't get caught up in the hype of rushing to run these longer distances for the sake of it, just because everyone else is doing it. Um, it's a lot about starting off slow and taking it step by step, which will allow you to build a solid foundation to build on. Um, so try a 50k first, let your body get used to distance and then progress to say maybe a 50 miler and then a 100k and so on. Because I think trying to run a uh, rush into doing these big mountain races or these long ultra distances without having the, having built a sufficiently strong foundation uh, is a recipe for failure long term. Yeah. So you might finish the race, but you probably won't enjoy too much of it. Mm. And your body might suffer from long-term damage or injuries if it's not prepared for the demands of taking on these sorts of uh, longer distances. That's a good, that's a good, uh, good tip for sure. And the last one you have for the audience for the, uh, Ian. 
I'd, I'd say um, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable. Getting comfortable and, with being uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to run ultras, um, they're, to me, they're more mental than physical. And I truly believe that anyone who runs a marathon can run an ultra. Um, so really what you want to be doing is not just training the physical aspect of yourself, but also the mental aspect. For sure. And, and just developing this apathy to discomfort, um, just having this mindset of, this is what's happening to me, my right leg's hurting right now, but I don't care. And decide on what you can do to solve the problem that you might have. It's just kind of callousing your mind. And um, I think that's a big step in, in terms of building yourself up to succeeding at this, this sport. For sure, for sure. That was a very good three well-defined tips. I really like that. Thank you for those. So, uh, Ian, if people want to get to follow you or get to know you better, what would be the best way for them to contact you on social media or follow you on social media? Sure. So, so Instagram is probably where I'm most active. And you can find me at, at Ian Lai. So it's at I-A-N-L-Y-E. I'm also on Facebook at Ian Lai. And on Strava at Ian Lai. So just kind of keeping it simple and consistent nice. across the board. Uh, but I'm also part of a small uh, running group with a couple of friends called Live Low, Race High. Okay. So Live Low, Race High. And we post relevant and interesting articles on trail and ultra running, what's uh, coming on in that scene, what's new uh, from time to time. So do follow that page. It's uh, a Live page Low, on, Race High. On Instagram? On Instagram and on Facebook. Okay, yeah. cool. Awesome. I'll for sure tag those into the show notes uh, below. Uh, well, below. When people are listening to it, it's below. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much, uh, Ian. It was uh, it was awesome talking to you, and it was awesome when we were able to to set up this meeting uh, with the time differences and everything. I think a yeah, lot of uh, a lot of people that are on the fence of starting to run ultras or getting into that world will learn about a lot about uh, how to get into it from our conversation that we had. And uh, I wish you all the luck for 2020. And maybe what we could do is we could get back on another podcast uh, to discuss some of those races that you did uh, in the 2020 season. That would be awesome. Yeah. And, and thanks so much for having me. Glad we could finally make the times work. And yeah. Uh, yeah. It was awesome. Thank, Thank you. you so much. And for everyone out there, keep living strong. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Living Strong Podcast. If you guys enjoyed what you heard and want to share this podcast with the world, there's two things you could do. You can leave us a review so we get a bigger reach and it will help us out so much and you can leave that on iTunes or anywhere you listen to your podcast or you could share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you so much, guys. Keep living strong. Thank you for listening and being part of the Living Strong Podcast. Till next time, keep living strong.